welcome back to the Tabernacle Podcast. Today, we will be switching it up again. If you listened to the last episode, we talked about raw and real questions with Pastor Allen from our kids. Today, Pastor Allen will be interviewing a member of our congregation. Take it away, Pastor Allen. Hello, uh, it's Pastor Allen here, and I'm here with Ish, um, and we're going to be learning a little bit um, about Ish's transition uh, into our church, into our family, and where he's been. And so, uh, Ish, introduce yourself a little bit. Well, as you said, my name is Ishmael, but Ish shortened. I um, I grew up in Nicaragua. I came into the United States when I was 17. 16, 17, I can't remember now. I grew up being a Jehovah Witness. You know, I'm third generation. My two grandmothers were Jehovah's from my dad's side and my mother's side. A lot of my cousins and aunts from both sides of the family are Jehovah. My parents were Jehovah's, both of them. So, yeah, that's that's how I was brought up in that uh, environment, you know. Okay. Yeah, we're going to dive into a little bit of that today. Um, I do want to hear a little bit about your raising and your background. I know your uh, upbringing was with Jehovah's Witness, and so I'm curious about some stories or sort of how you were raised. So having a Jehovah's upbringing means pretty much no birthdays, no birthday parties at all of any kind, mine or I couldn't attend or have one on my own. No no holidays of any kind, no Christmas, Thanksgiving, pretty much no holidays of, at all, no holidays at all. And um, the upbringing was very robotic in a way, you know, you have to follow the rules, follow the guidelines. Um, a lot of policing each other, you know, you are doing something, maybe you are at a restaurant or a, or a place where they have music and then they will, the next time you get to see them, they'll be like, oh, we saw you at this place. Or somebody said that you were doing this. Or somebody said that you were doing that. So every time you were out and about, you were like, like this, just making sure. Not that I was doing anything wrong, but you are just always with a chip on your shoulder. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, you always think somebody's looking at you. And um, so, as I said, there were no, um, no, no holidays. Not that I was, not that I wanted to celebrate them because I knew they were bad. But you know, sometimes you see people having fun like out the window in a way and then you were like man it'd be nice to get a gift on christmas day or my birthday you know that like my cousin non-jehovah's would have their birthday parties and they would invite us over and i'll be like no i can't go i'm jehovah witness you know we're not supposed to even though the bible doesn't say anything about that you know my upbringing was going to the meetings three times the meetings is what they call their services you know meeting if i say meeting it means their service so you are supposed to go three times a week i remember it used to be mondays wednesday nights uh 
and then Sunday, Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, depending. And then on top of that, you were required to preach a few hours. Uh, you actually, at the end of the month, you give a report card, a report card of what you did. So if you preach, I don't know, 15, 20 hours, you write it down. You preach 20 hours. You conducted one or two Bible studies. You distributed, I don't know, four magazines or five magazines. The Watchtower or the Awake, doesn't matter. You were, you distributed or sold one or two books. So every month you give this report card. And then the elders, the elders are like the pastors, you know. There is no ever one pastor, there is usually a few elders. And we might touch this a little bit more forward. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, every month you are supposed to give what you did, you know, whether you're lying or not, but you were supposed to give a report card. And what happens, let's say you have, um, your report card isn't up to snuff. What happens if you get a C? Well, if you get a C, it would be like that you preach maybe less than 10 hours and that you didn't give any book. Well, if you, if it happens one month, it might not be a big deal, but if it happens continuously, like very often, then they might call your attention. Then they might tell you, oh, we, we see that you are struggling here. And if you keep doing it wrong, then they might take away your privileges, you know. Your privileges, services that you might do within the kingdom hall, which is what they call the their church, you know. Maybe you, you help, maybe you're not allowed to come and clean the church anymore. Okay. Or maybe you're not allowed to pass the microphones, or maybe you are not allowed to um, participate in the talks, you know, because there are little things that you can do, even if you are not an elder, like the elder is the higher up, and then there is the ministerial servant, that's which what is, you were. that's what I was just before the elder. But even if you don't have any, any rankings within, they could have you like go and read the Bible, you know, go and read John chapter 17th and then you read it all, you know, you go there to the podium. But if you're, if your reports aren't so good, then they might not see you as an example to the others. So if you're not a good example, if you're not preaching, then they might not allow you to go up there and give talks. What do you mean by, so you say rank. So in the Nazarene church, we have our lead pastor. Uh, I'm a next-gen pastor, so I'm in charge of the, the young kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's basically pastors and then laity, and we're all forming this uh, togetherness to be a church, right? But you make it almost seem like it's an army, like there's people at the top, and then there's the middle people, and then there's lower, and then there's these different the sections of people, like ranks. So what does that mean? So... Okay, there is the whole congregation, you know, and then there is the people that attend the meetings. There is people that just go to the meetings that go home. They don't get much involved. And then there are the what they call the pioneers. The pioneers. I know it's been like 15 years since I left, sure, so sure. they have they made a change in these numbers or these metrics. But a pioneer is supposed to preach like 40 to 50 hours. So month. everybody preaches. Everybody has to preach. Not, if they're not, uh, yeah. If they're not on the bottom rank, everybody Yeah, has everybody to preach. preaches, you know. If you are 
Okay, the, so the first one is a publisher. Okay. A publisher doesn't have to be a baptized member, but the publisher is allowed to go and preach. Like you start your journey as a Jehovah if you are if you are not born into it like I was. Let's say you somebody comes to your door. Not me being a Nazarene, but yeah. I yeah. <laughs> no, no, let's say they come knock to your door. Yeah. They come every week to give you a Bible study with their own Bible, with their own books, you know. When you say their own Bible, is it different? Yes, it's okay. different. They have their own version. They have the New World Scriptures, they call them. Okay. I don't remember, but it's it's a revised version to help push their own doctrines, you know. Okay. So the, the, the rank is, is a publisher. It's a non-baptized Jehovah, but he's allowed to go and preach representing them. You know what I mean? So this is so fascinating to me. So for us, we feel like uh, as, as pastors, you're, you're called by God to be that pastor. Yeah. So um, if if I have a calling on my life, which I believe I do, uh, I, I, I say I have a calling on my life, and then our lead pastor sees that calling, right? And he tries to cultivate that calling. And that's sort of how we... Um, we see calling in people's lives and, and we grow together in that calling. But to me, it almost sounds like it's a ranking system based on what you do as opposed to being a calling on God. It's, God. it's what you do and what the perception, their perception of you is, you know. Uh, as I said, they are publishers, they are ministerial servants, uh, actually publisher, then you get baptized. Then once you are baptized, you can aspire to become a pioneer, which is preaching 50, 60 hours a week. That's the most that a women can become, actually. There are no women ministerial servants or elders. Women cannot have any any rank higher up like that. A woman cannot teach a man okay. in, their, in their view. Um, so... You could be preaching a lot of hours, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become, become an elder because there's a lot of politics involved Got it. in advancing in the Jehovah's, you know, like this is one of the reasons why I started to have doubts about the religion because when I was very involved with them, you know, preaching a lot, having... Bible studies with people, uh, distributing magazines. Um, I was never promoted, you know, even though I wanted to become a ministerial servant. But then, uh, once I grew up a little bit and I understood that, well, my work and my is not my work is not gonna mean anything unless I start like being very how can i put it like no with the elders you have to be very friendly very like hey how you doing brother today can you help you with anything be very uh there is a word there is a term and i cannot come up with it but you have to be kind of fake with them you know okay. you have to fake your faith around the elders you know they have to see you that you're formal they have to see you that you're willing to help uh, even though if you're faking it but if they think you are doing the right thing then they call you over hey uh, we want to make you a ministerial servant you know but it's not until i understood how that work 
that I got on my next rank, you know, like I really needed to be super friendly to them, very like obedient, very um, submissive to them, you know, and then they, but I, they, they don't have a calling like that, you know, you can have the aspirations, but they would decide that, you know. Now, and then once I became a ministerial servant, by that point, I was already living a double life. Mm. So that's why I was like, wait a minute, how are we supposed to be theocratic if I get promoted at my worst spiritual time of my life, you know, in the worst time of my life? I mean, as a Jehovah, you know, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad towards the end. But that's when they promoted me. So I was very like, oh, no, this doesn't make any sense. Sort of like spiritual discernment. Yeah. They couldn't tell the, the difference. So you sort of touched on a little bit, but what led you to go through this transition? So you leave the Jehovah's Witness. There's a time of separation from them. And then you meet us. Yes. And so could you walk us through your leaving, maybe why you left possibly, and then uh, during that time of transition, sort of just that absence from going to any church and why you were in, in that position, and then what led you to us? So I was, li- they're very doctrine-based, the Jehovah Witness, you know, it's less about faith, more about doctrines, about learning their own doctrines. And... Uh, Ever since I was like, I don't know, 14 or 15, I I had a few doubts, but I didn't follow up much, you know. I was just a little bit like, like it's hard becoming a Jehovah, I used to say, you know. At least here, we are Jehovah Witness, but this is a Christian nation, you know. Nicaragua is very Christian. but what happened in other places of the world where there are no Christians, like, I don't know, Africa or Southeast Asia or India, you know, it would be very tough for those people to accept the Bible, let alone become Jehovah's Witness, you know, because they don't believe in that. So my thinking was, so God is going to destroy those people just because they don't have, uh, they were born in a part of the world where they don't believe in the Bible. And then... Um, they also have this doctrine, which I'm not going to specify much, about 1914. It's a very important date okay. for the Jehovah Witness. For them, that's that's when the end of time started, you know, for okay. the Jehovah Witness. The end of times began in 1914. Actually, in their eyes, that's when Jesus came back to earth. For Jehovah Witness, Jesus was already back. So we know. missed him. You missed out on him. Yeah, he's okay. already back. He's been back since 1914. So I had my doubts, but I kept going for it, you know. But then the older I got, the more doubts I had, the more questions I had. And you're not supposed to talk to another brother and be like, hey, brother, what do you think about this doctrine? Don't you think it's a little out of place? Because then you lose all your privileges, you know, you are down in... You move down the rank. Yeah, you move down the ranking, they might even kick you out, because their doctrines, even though some of them are not even in the Bible, for them, in their minds, it comes from God, and you're not supposed to question that at all, you know. So, I had a lot of questions, and this is when I got promoted, you know, at my worst time. Mm. So the more I was involved, 
and I had my doubts and I was starting to live a double life, then I asked myself, well, do I want to be doing this for the next 40 or 50 years? You know, like preaching a few hours, coming three times a week to the meetings. And then after that, just doing things that are wrong. You know, I just, I just didn't want to live that life at all altogether. So I kind of went to the elders and told them I was living. And I left, this was back in 2007, 2008. And then once I, once I have freedom, you know, cause as I told you, they police each other a lot. So once I was, I have freedom, the first few years were tough because all my friends, my family, my whole community was just Jehovah. So once I left the Jehovah witness, I only had one friend outside the religion, you know, which, um, you know, which I used to hang out with him even more after that because he was, he was the only friend I had, you know. Uh, but I feel lucky in a way because my parents still talk to me. That's good. Um, I'm glad they still talk to you. Yeah, my parents still talk to me because, believe it or not, there are some kids that get this fellowshiped and then the parents don't talk to them oh. at all. Like, it's very hard, you know, like... <laughs> I know a lady that she got this fellowship and then her mother married and, you know, she had a new husband and the daughter was not allowed in the wedding. She wasn't allowed to go to the wedding and she flew all the way from some place to another place to see her mother and the mother didn't allow her, you know, and it's, and you hear a lot of stories like that, you know, kids that want to talk to their parents and they just can't because they're out. Actually, my best friend from we were growing up, you know, from age five until, I don't know, 24, 25, when I was this fellowship, I thought we were friends. But then once we, I got this fellowship, he stopped talking to me at all. So were we really friends then? Mm. If I'm supposed to follow these guidelines in order to become your friend. So the I left in 2013, I mean, 2007, 2008. And I didn't attend to any any religions, you know. I didn't go to any churches or of any kind until I met my wife. She was a mem- she was a Nazarene in her home country, and then we moved into Denver's, and then she noticed that there was a church of the Nazarene in Denver's, and then she started to come here. And then she brought me with her, you know. And the first time I came here, I was a little skeptical. It was a little bit, oh, well, let's see what they do here, you know. Because as I said, I was all I knew about these things was being a Jehovah, uh, you know. And they're rigorous. It sounds like they're rigorous. Yes, very rigorous, yeah. So when I came here, I came very well dressed, you know. Now, when you go to the Jehovah service, you are supposed to dress suit, a tie, slacks, your shiny shoes. I'd be in trouble. Oh, you would, yeah, we wouldn't. You couldn't even preach. You know, even for the preaching, you have to dress up. I'd be in a lot of trouble. Your hair would have to be neat. There is no facial hair with them. I'd have been in real trouble. Yeah, you wouldn't even make it. Yeah. No, you wouldn't be. Uh, so I'd have to stay at the bottom of the rankings. You and Yes, you would breathe. You only be allowed to go to the services. Okay. And that's it. That's it. That's it. No, no, sir. No, no going to the community. No preaching because no preaching. they, 
in order to preach, you have they ask you a few questions. You okay. know, you have to meet their standards. I definitely wouldn't meet the standards. You wouldn't meet the standard. No offense. No, that's right. None taken. We like taken. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm no, glad. but <laughs> like, I don't know if we're gonna touch this more down the road. But becoming a Jehovah is not easy. It's not like you go one day to the Sunday service and tell one elder, "I want to be a Jehovah tomorrow." No, it doesn't work that way. You have to have the Bible study, attend all the meetings, be well dressed. We be very well dressed. Then start preaching, and then once you've been doing this for like maybe a year or so, then you ask, "You wanna? Get, I wanna get baptized?" And then they, it's like a month process. You can get promoted to sergeant then. No, no, no. You don't get promoted right away. You, the elders, they meet up with you like four or five times, ask you a set of questions, and then they decide if you are ready to get baptized. Even you could have the desire. I'm like, I want to get baptized, but they will, if they don't see you that you are ready, they will hold. It happened to me, I'm telling you. Hmm. I was going to get baptized at age like 13 or 14, and they told me I wasn't ready. Okay. Um, so you already touched on a little bit. What are some differences that you've seen in the Nazarenes versus the Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, the first difference was the, the kids are allowed to be kids and have fun. You know? Here? Here, yes, during service time, because being a Jehovah, even if you are four or five or six, seven, three, whatever you are, you're supposed to be at the service and pay attention and listening and participating. Participating means some of their uh, meetings have questions and answers, like the guy's at the podium, he asks a question and then you raise your hand. Like, who wants to read Matthew 24, 13? Then you raise your hand, and then they select you, and then as a little kid, you're supposed to participate a lot. You're supposed to be engaged, you know? Hmm. They treat you like an adult, pretty much. Okay. Now, the kids here are allowed to have fun. When there is singing time, they grab their instruments that they have to make noise. But they are worshiping in their way, you know? They're allowed to run around, roam around, and they have their own service dedicated just for them. Do they do they have singing in the Jehovah's Witnesses? Do we sing Amazing Grace? No Amazing Grace. Let's see, what do they have against Amazing Grace? They have nothing like Amazing Grace. They have their own songs, you know, their hymns, okay. their, their own... It's very instrumental, okay. in a way, by... They only sing their own songs that they write themselves and they compose themselves. Just like they only use their own books, their own Bibles, their own magazine. Their own stuff. Their own stuff. They they are very self-sufficient, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but all they do is from themselves. You know, okay. they wouldn't... You could have this amazing magazine from a Methodist church and they just wouldn't touch it. So, do you still have connections with the Jehovah's Witness community? If so, like, how have those relationships been since you've left? I have only with my parents, you know, and a few other ones that have been disfellowshipped. But no, I don't have any active friends that are Jehovah's. When you say disfellowshipped, you mean kicked L out? Like me, yes. Yeah, disfellowship, it's like being kicked out. Like me, I was disfellowshipped. At age, I don't know, 24, 25, I can't remember. So in their, in their um, minds, 
uh, Jesus has come, right? You said he has, has come already in 1914. And, and, and they, they believe in heaven? For, uh, for a small amount of them, for only 144,000. So in their view, only 144,000 people will be with God in heaven. The highest ranking? Anointed ones. It doesn't need to be uh, an elder. It could be even a normal person. Okay. I mean, that only attends to church. They, that's actually another subject that is very tough because when you're anointed, that's what they call anoint, anointed. It's a... Uh, is this calling actually you know the calling you were calling yeah. about being a pastor the only calling that we have it's being anointed being one of the 144,000 but they're very rare I never met any anointed Jehovah witness myself even when I was Jehovah so only 144,000 are going to be up in heaven the rest of us I want to be here on. Is here there like a, a running list that that? I, actually, I don't know how the, I don't know how they keep track. Okay, because like if they get to one hundred forty four thousand and one, like that's the end of it. It is, but more the, for the end of time. But I don't know. They don't. They cannot. It's impossible to keep track. Okay, because there have been instances where people say it's anointed. Other people don't believe it, but you say you are and. What are they gonna say? You know, Got it. they don't have any litmus test. There's any guidance? No, any no, there is nothing. There is no test. You know, it's it's actually very very weird how that okay. works. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in today to catch Ish's story, reclaiming my faith. Be on the lookout for part two coming soon.